We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is Monday as we roll into another week. He's Vince D'Addario bopping and scatting over there on the other side. I'm Sean Styers. I'll tell you what, man. Two night games in a row. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this month stretch of all this. Nope. <laughs> I don't know how I'm getting to the bye week. I'm, 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 I've been hit by a energy vampire today, just sucking all of it out of me. Dude, you're not wrong, and it's it is it hits me like um, like right about now actually uh, is when it kind of just like hits me like a Mack truck. That and trying to get out of bed in the morning. Uh huh. But yeah, I I didn't recover until like midweek last week. I'm hoping it'll be better this week. But man, four in a row is is absolutely going to kill me. It's going to kill me. I never recovered. I never recovered. <laughs> and I slept. I slept until like was it eight. Maybe eight Sunday morning, you know, and that's after getting to bed. You know, you you got to bed later than me because you were still doing the post game show. But oh. I was up. I know I was up past one, okay. writing and you know transcribing Marcus Freeman quotes and getting stuff written up and all that. It's just, I don't know. It's just it's brutal, honestly, because yeah. you're you're because <laughs> you you get up in the morning just like I do because I I know you do because I talk to you all like in the morning a lot, <laughs> right? And I think I slept till like nine thirty. And that, like my my internal clock though, is telling me to get up at like six thirty. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it was so it wasn't like great sleep from like six thirty to nine thirty. But I was, you know, went to bed around three. So it's like, man, was I zapped? I just, yeah. I mean, look, I enjoy night games from a fan standpoint. From a coverage standpoint, it's terrible. And I also understand from a team standpoint especially the road game versions are terrible because they're not staying the night after the game. Yeah. They're getting on an airplane or whatever, and they're coming all the coming way back. Home. And so they're going to bed even probably later than we were. Yeah. They know? got back so, at around three 30. So they didn't get to bed until, yeah, you know, there you go after 4am sometime. That's so. brutal, man. Like that's, yeah. that's tough. That's yep. tough. And it's four in a row, four primetime games in a row. This week will be yep. number three with Louisville. We're gonna we're gonna get into to this Duke game some more. Kind of put you know some of the touches on it. We've got some of Marcus Freeman's comments, and 
I don't know about you, Vince. My immediate reaction, both during and after the game, not good. <laughs> it was no. it was negative, you know. And I, that yeah, like the only thing that softened it, obviously, is the fact that they won. And Correct. you know, we had high expectations for the Irish going into this game. They did not meet them for, for multiple reasons, and we're going to get into some of that. It's completely fair, I think, to critique how. You know, a lot of things went for most of the night. I've got a list of them. And again, I got a list of grievances here. But yes. uh, you know, <laughs> well, we'll do Festivus early this year. We'll do Festivus in October. I love but Festivus. When I looked at my list, you know, of like notes and stuff like that, most of the it was pretty overwhelmingly negative. But oh, yeah. you know, and obviously if you look at the message board, you look at social media, the whole thing. Again, justifiably so. There's a lot of negative stuff to come out of it. But there is a positive, and that's that they ended up winning the game, and they won it yes. in exciting fashion. Obviously, the fact that they flipped the script from a week before, and it's like Jesse sent me this. Mm. This he's, The last two weeks he has sent me this. There's like this graph. Oh, um, the win percentage? The, the, well, not the win percentage, but it's like it's got – all the teams and all the games that they oh. played, and there's like this intersection. And if you're below the line, that means you did not play well. If you're above the line, it means you played well. Notre Dame against Ohio State was actually above the line. They should have been. They should have won. Yeah. This week against Duke, they were below the line. They should have lost, but they ended up winning. So it's it's crazy just how, like, when you look at it from that perspective, how yep. similarly these these two games were, just a different result at the end of the game. And that's the biggest positive I think that I took out of the game was that almost the identical scenario took place a week before and Notre Dame was on the losing end. And then same scenario and they were able to flip the script and become the winner, right? And and we we gave Notre Dame all the credit in the world for you know, outplaying Ohio State and doing all these great things. But at the end of the day, they didn't win. And that's what matters, right? And, and at the end of the day, Ohio State was the better team because they won. Yeah. Almost, like, almost completely the opposite this week where, and, and more specifically in the second half than the first half, is that Duke completely outplayed Notre Dame for 28 minutes of that of the second half. Notre Dame outplayed Duke when it mattered at the end and ended up getting the win. And so... I mean, at the end of the day, it is about winning, right? And at the end of the yeah. day, Notre Dame still has everything in front of them the way that they should have, regardless of the way that they won, because they actually won. And you can go through all the list of various national champion teams that struggled with this team or struggled with that team, but ended up winning. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters now. There's a lot to clean up. Obviously, more on the offense than on the defense in, in this particular game. But as as we said last night when we were doing upon further review, it's a hell of a lot easier to break down that film when you know the outcome is a W. Right. Right. And, you know, if you threw out the last couple of plays that Notre Dame made and you didn't know <laughs> what the outcome was, you – you would again. I think you would probably come away with more negative than positive. Oh, salty, sure. salty asked if I could whiteboard all of what I was just saying. I can't. Jesse will be here tomorrow. I think he threw that that line graph thing up last week. Oh, okay. I'll see if he can grab both of those and kind of show that tomorrow. Makes sense. 
because like he sent it to me the one that he sent to me last week i think it was the day after the ohio state game he like sent it and i'm like i'm like look and there's a logo of all these teams and i'm like i don't know what the hell this means (laughs) (laughs) he brought it up on tuesday and i'm like i have no idea what that thing meant do you want to explain it and i think he i think he put it up there last tuesday so i'll see if he can grab those and and show both of those on tomorrow's show. It's like, oh, thanks. Thanks, math guy. I still yeah. don't. You're going to have to explain this. So. <laughs> but I mean, look, you look at some of these teams across the country, right? Georgia struggled, you know, to win their game. If it wasn't for Brock Bowers, they don't win that game, right? And, you know, uh, USC ended up struggling against Colorado, even though I turned that game off at halftime because I thought, you know, that game was well over, but they ended up struggling. And, you know, so those teams were undefeated and they all struggled. And so, you know, Teams are going to struggle. This is college football, man. Rarely is a team going to go 12 straight weeks and just blow out everybody that they play. There's going to be drama. And there was certainly the fair share of drama. And I I don't know that I believe Notre Dame was going to win until Audric Estime crossed the goal line. I did not. I did not. <laughs> so and I was, I don't, like, unlike you, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but unlike you, like, I don't yell at my TV very much not like yelling at my tv but when audric estime broke loose that was as excited as i have been watching any notre dame football game in a long time maybe maybe with the exception of the kyron williams run a couple of years ago we were in the press box against clemson obviously yeah yeah Uh, well no the one against uh, north carolina remember the one oh the one where he goes right carolina where he starts he starts to the right cuts back to the left and down the sideline he goes and that whole thing that was that to me is still one of the more incredible runs that was that was mostly him though he did get a little bit of help from a couple of teammates including michael mayer downfield but um but the Andrick estimate, I just started yelling, estimate, <laughs> estimate. I could not believe it. I could, because again, like this, he was, we all know he was bottled up all night and frustratingly. So he was bottled up all night. It's not just that he was bottled up. It was the choice of runs. Again, let's save that. We'll save some of the, the more critiquing aspects of it. I know you guys okay. have been through a lot of it, That's but okay. we'll get but not with you. We'll, We'll get we'll get to some of that. I wanted again to start with more positive, get our positive endorphins yes. kind of going here before we delve back and and jump into the some of the other stuff. If for, you know, for our live listeners, if you have you know any things specifically that you want to bring up, go ahead and bring them up, and we will address we'll them. Toss it around, but, yeah. Why not? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. The month of October is going to be jam-packed with huge games for Notre Dame. And ticket hunting for those games can be stressful, which is why you need to check out Game Time. Whether you're looking for last-minute tickets to this week's top 25 matchup between the Irish and Louisville, or next week when Notre Dame takes on USC, Game Time is the go-to place for you. That's where I went and got tickets to the Notre Dame-Clemson game for my mom and dad. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That's gametime.co. But look, back to back plays. Sam Hartman picks up 17 yards on fourth and 16. Estimate then. Very next play. And like when you think of it in that context, those two plays happen on consecutive plays. It looked like nothing was going to go right for most of the night. Oh, And then on back-to-back plays, you get that. That was the first time I yelled at my TV uh, was on the fourth, <laughs> fourth and 16 because we did not have the luxury of the all 22, right? And mm-hmm. Or we didn't have the luxury of being in the press box and being able to see that Sam Hartman had a clear lane to run for – 17 yards yeah right and he's rolling out and it looks like he's getting ready to throw the ball and then he like pump fakes and holds on to it i'm like no no you gotta throw it you, you gotta throw it and then he tucks it starts to run and i'm like no I, I was freaking out and then of course as the camera pans away a little bit you're like there's not a blue jersey in sight so obviously that was a good call but like that's the first time I yelled at my TV. Then they spike it, and then Estime breaks the run, and I'm like, I I didn't yell at the TV like I like I thought Sam Hartman could hear me two plays prior, uh-huh. but I was I it was like a yeah, like I, Just, oh, I, yeah, I was pretty excited. Even the field presence, you know, because like those lines are obviously <clears throat> superimposed with graphics on the TV. He literally runs right up to the line, knowing exactly where he needs. Yeah, you know, I realize there are markers on the sideline and all that, but still. The presence of mind to know, okay, if I stand right here, I can still throw it. But, I mean, obviously, two steps forward, and he's going to be over the line. And then he just takes off, and he's got the guy chasing him. And I would really like to see that all 22, to see just exactly where all of Duke's defense was on that play, to give him that big a cushion. And, again, like, there are so many mirrors in this game, you know, like, Notre Dame's fourth and 16 was Ohio State's third and 19, basically. And Hartman oh, yeah. picks it up himself. And 100%. the way Duke 
defended that play compared to the way they defended most of the rest of the drive, very similar to the way <laughs> to Notre Dame and Al Golden defended third and 19 and, you know, the, the, you know, the rest of the things, Oh, just a week earlier. It's just crazy yes. how, you know, like, like it, it's like bizarro Jerry world, I guess, to use another <laughs> Seinfeld reference. So, yeah. But I mean, Duke is less than a minute away from probably the biggest win in program history. And then Hartman picks up the 17 yards. And then again, the rest is history after that. But here's fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman after the game on his quarterback. When, when Sam Hartman's your quarterback, <laughs> you have a lot of faith, right? And, and he's been in those moments. He's not a first-time quarterback. He, it, the moment wasn't too big for him. And, and you know, I, I don't want to just give credit to one person, but, he, you know, the plays he made on that series were huge. The, the, the ability to say, pull that ball down and run for it, um, I truly believe in my heart he learned from last week on the fourth and one when we thought we got it and we didn't. And there, there can't be a maybe in that situation. So I don't care if it's fourth and one or fourth and 18. If you're going to take off, you have to make sure we get the first down, and that's what he did. And, I mean, you better really make sure <laughs> – when it's fourth and 16 that you're going to get that 17 because you know again like i'm surprised that a defensive back didn't come flying up and like smacking two yards short that's kind of what i thought was going to happen Seriously. he'd get close and he'd just get smacked and he made sure he got it and it, that play and there was a run earlier where you could tell that he learned from ohio state he dropped his shoulder oh one time the fourth earlier. and one yeah, hundred exactly. percent. Yes, or the fourth and whatever it was. Yeah, but he 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 absolutely knew exactly what he was doing on that one, and he didn't step out of bounds. He lowered his shoulder and got it. Just or you know made sure that he got it right. And it was, I mean, as soon as he did that, I was like, okay, somebody learned from Ohio State. Like that clearly, somebody learned what they were supposed to be doing, and and you know fixed what they did wrong in the first place right and yeah. so um i was very happy to see that but i just sent you by the way the all 22 of that fourth and 16 so you can see and i just noticed for the first time that on third down and fourth down duke was in man to man and so they all had their backs turned and were following the receivers around and so that opens up you know run lanes for the quarterback and they just did not expect sam hartman to get 16 yards and Frankly, I think that was a a bet that Elko was willing to take, to be honest with you. Probably one I would have taken as well. And of course, you can hear me talking over the top of it. It's oh, can you hear that? No, barely, barely, but yeah. Okay, let me, let me so, mute this. Let me mute yeah. this. Was this from uh, Upon Further Review? Uh, this is, is, that, um, is this the, this the film from? that I use for upon further review. Yes. I, I'm just so we, looking at these guys and like they can see. So Hartman is all the way back at the 50 yard line. Okay. And now he starts to come forward. Now he's at the 45 and they're still five, 10, 15, 20, almost <laughs> yeah. 25 yards away from him. Yes. Now he's at the 40 and they're closing in, but they're within 12. He still needs to get 10 yards. And there is a defensive back standing about 13 yards away from him. Now mm -hmm. he's at the 45 and that defensive back. So he's gone 
five plus yards. That defensive back has come up about and, he, and two takes and a, a half, terrible angle, yards. by the way. Horrible angle. Yeah, terrible he's angle. Like, he's tackling his back hip, and there's Sam Hartman across the 30-yard line. He gets what he needs. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, a terrible angle by that corner. I mean, a terrible he he could have run up and, and made the play. He could have made the play. Yeah. Just made just took a terrible angle at it. So you know, if we were Duke people, we'd be talking about him, about what a horrible uh, oh, game sure. he had defensively. Yeah. Let, let me just ask you this, though, Vince. This I thought about this over the weekend, and I think I thought about it, you know, during the game, maybe right after the game. What would Notre Dame's record be if they didn't have Sam Hartman? I... I mean, they definitely have two losses. They definitely have two losses, right? I mean, we can all agree that they probably lose to Duke and they still lose to Ohio State. I think we can. I'm not sure they beat North Carolina State the way that game played. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. It, you know, it it took not just Jared Parker making some adjustments and getting an 80 yard run from Estime, but. Some of those runs are opened up by the fact that yeah. they're afraid that Sam Hartman is going to throw the ball over them. Uh, and let's not forget, this is a quarterback who hasn't, you know, the one fumble. He had the fumble, but he hasn't turned the ball over through the air. And if Tyler Buckner, that you know, that's who the quarterback oh, yeah. would be. And oh, if Tyler yeah. Buckner was the quarterback, he I doesn't have zero interceptions. interceptions through six No games. chance. And He's probably got at least six interceptions right now. And do you remember in the offseason – and, you know, people were trying to find things to, to pick on for for Sam Hartman. And that's funny. DK says, you guys DK high? says, are you guys high? Pine would be 7-0 right now. That's right. Pine's got they'd have, problems. They'd have more wins than they have games if Drew Pine was the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They've only played six games. Um, they were all trying to find ways to knock down Sam Hartman. It was the interceptions. Remember? Like everybody was talking about how many interceptions right. Sam Hartman's going to have. And he's going to have 9, 10, 11 interceptions, but you know, that's okay. Cause he's going to have a bunch of touchdowns and you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, um, I think he's doing okay. Uh, he has not, I mean, he has done a very good job of protecting the football when he throws it. I can't even really remember. I mean, he's taken some chances, but they were calculated risks. I can't even remember one that like was dropped well and like a couple couple of the throws that he made saturday night were like the way he threw them they you know without again being able to see the whole field as he threw you know it was like oh man is that is 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 he throwing that into coverage where is it going to end up and then you know like fortunately it would like fall incomplete or you know something there were one or two throws like he didn't have a great night throwing the football no i mean that no let's be honest he was a 50 percent passer you know, he made connections with Evans when he had to, but he, he had an off night. There's no doubt he had an off night, but he also won the game for you at the end. Yeah. So, you know, you can take it. I mean, even he knew when he pump faked, it was like, I, I just, in my mind, I'm thinking that he's thinking like, you know what? I haven't been completely on in this game. I think I'm going to tuck it and run. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's fourth down. You're not going to get this one back if it's a bad throw. Like I got a lot of green grass in front of me. Let's just let's just do this thing. You know what I mean? Like because he, I, and I'll show you this play. Uh, if you go back, obviously you don't want to necessarily do it now. 
when he gets to the top of his drop, he's got Rico Flores open. Uh, and because it, it's covered two, but man under, and it's too high, and it, it and the say and the corner doesn't run, he runs with Rico for a little bit, but then he lets him go. So there's a nice hole there, in the back right corner, and Rico is literally going like this. <laughs> and is this on the same video you just said, yeah, yeah, it is. And it, and when Sam gets to the top of his drop, now part of the reason that Sam Hartman was off in this game was because he was getting so much pressure because the offensive line did not play well. Okay, yeah. and he was getting he was getting guys in his face, so he was a little trigger happy there at the end. And so he when and he I gets can... to the top of his drop, he's got a chance to hit Rico if he's on in this game. I think he makes that throw. But he wasn't on in this game. And I don't think I don't he trusted think... himself enough because exactly. I'm seeing it right here. Rico's but around he's... the 20-yard line waving his – and Hartman is still at his own 48 as he's kind of coming forward. But Rico is. He's kind of sitting there, but he's also – as you said, there's there's a, there's a man under, and then the safety is coming over the top because he spots Flores all alone there yeah. near the sideline. So if you, if you rewind it just a skosh – when Sam gets to the top of his drop, right? Uh-huh. Rico is just now passing the corner and the safety right. has turned his back on right. Rico. And so there's a there's a window, you know what I mean? And it's a window that I think Sam Hartman hits nine times out of 10. I don't think he trusted himself at that point. And I don't think he trusted that the line was going to hold long enough. No, I, I, I really I, do. I can see that. Like just, and, and it's, it still wouldn't have been an easy throw. Like it's a no. throw that I think I think that he makes if he's on, but it still wouldn't have been, been yeah. an easy and throw. He would have had to step into it, right? Yeah. He would have had to step into that throw. And I don't think he trusted what was in front of him. I mean, yeah. I you know, it was a rough game for the offensive line. And we're not gonna sugarcoat it. It was a rough, rough game. And so Sam Hartman did what he had to do. And even though he was off and even though he didn't have a great game, he did he won the game for them in the end because picking up that fourth down man was I mean, that was the game. That was the game. Yep. Big game for Mitchell Evans, obviously. Six catches, 134 yards. Oh, yeah. It's like the guy just made play after play after play, especially on a night when the receivers gave you next to nothing, basically. And we'll get to that here in a second. But Joe asked, do you think that teams will start focusing on Evans because of the weaknesses with the receivers? How does Notre Dame use this to their advantage? I mean, it's possible. I mean, if you want to give him the Michael Mayer treatment, I mean, that's fine. And that that's worked in the past. Uh, but, you know, Sam Hartman, you, you know, we can we can knock the receivers and that's fine. Specifically, a, a very specific one, uh, because I don't think the other receivers played poorly. I just don't think that they got the ball thrown in their direction. There was only three receivers on the field on Saturday night. One yeah. of them had a terrible game. The other two played fine. The other two receivers played fine. And so if you want to put all of your eggs in the let's defend Mitchell Evans basket, you're going to get hurt by Sam Hartman. I mean, what's one of the things that we've talked about, right? Throwing to 10 receivers, nine receivers, eight different receivers. Like the other guys will make you pay. They're just not game breakers right now. The biggest thing right now that needs to happen with this offense is – Jared Parker needs to adjust, I think, to the adjustments that are being made to him. Because when you start off a season and you've got a new offensive coordinator and a new play caller, which obviously he is doing both, I think he was able to come into the season in the first few games with a with a script of what he wanted to do. 
and you know all these different formations and things that he wanted to do well that's all fine and dandy for for two three games or whatever but by the time you get to that two or three games and this is to an extent the same for Sam Hartman as well because he is playing in a different offense than he was playing in but now teams have a book on you they they're all watching every single play of every single game there there's a book and, and we know that Jared Parker didn't adjust well enough in the Duke game and that was that to me beyond the offensive line not having a great game that to me was the most frustrating thing cuz i mean it it felt like Notre Dame should have been able to have more success running the ball between the tackles but it obviously it became obvious pretty quickly that they were not having success between the tackles and there was not nearly enough of an, an adjustment from Jared Parker i don't think and that's that's the biggest thing that i need to see from him now is we saw some creativity early on Vince you you know and again you can expand on this to whatever extent you want but there's got to be some adjustments made now they weren't made Saturday night and now bigger picture he's got to be able to start making those adjustments as the game you know like NC State with with that unbalanced line major adjustment and it had a big impact on the game well you've got to show that you can keep doing that kind of thing because again you're six games in and teams have seen the way that you're calling games and, and and what you're doing over the course of a game. Well, and the, the the one of the most frustrating parts offensively is that there were no adjustments, and we've seen adjustments by Parker in the past yes. in games. We have, so it's not like it's not like in the past where it's like, well, you know, Notre Dame just doesn't make adjustments, so it doesn't matter. We've seen halftime adjustments. We've seen in-game adjustments by the offense in the past. Just didn't see them on Saturday, and that's frustrating. Like there, there weren't enough outside runs, you know, to loosen up the defense a little bit. I mean, they were pinching down hard to take away Audric Estime. I mean, that's what that's what they were doing, and and then they they were playing over the top to prevent the big long pass play because that's what they've been doing all year. I don't know how many times I heard on College Game Day Reese Davis say, "Well, they've never completed a pass over twenty yards in the air in the second play of the game." They did that, you know. It's like <laughs> okay. Got it. Thank you. Now we can stop talking about that. But um, I, I just that was very disappointing for me from a Jared Parker scenario. So now we've got two games in a row where they've struggled to score. You had four games in a row that were over forty points. Now you got two games in a row where they've struggled to put points on the board, and that's it's a bit of a red flag at this point. Well, but you know these are I mean? also top 20 defenses. He's facing, I get it. As opposed it. to those first but four teams, if, they, they were but not if you want to be with the, except, you want to be the team solid, but yeah. But if you want to be the team that you think that you can be, because this team has national championship aspirations, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's who they think they are. If that's who you think you are, you need to score points because we've talked about it a million times. You know, you win games to get to the playoff. Once you're in the playoff, you got to score. Because how many times in the playoffs have we seen it be a shootout or, you know, just points being scored well, all over the place? They need to, you know what, again, they need to score. Like, I go back to Sam Hartman, and it, it's obviously nothing but a good thing that they have Sam Hartman. But again, if you didn't have Sam Hartman, like, how much is he masking <laughs> You know, some some other things that, that might be more glaring if Sam Hartman wasn't here with all of his experience to bail them out of, you know, some otherwise kind of iffy decisions and game plans right. and lack, you know, 
those lack of adjustments and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's 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 a red flag for who this team wants to be. Like that that's where I'm at at this point. I, I still believe Jared Parker can be a really good offensive coordinator. I do. I've seen creative, you know, uh run game. I've I've seen a lot of different things. Just didn't see it on Saturday. And that's disappointing because I think there was a lot there. Like you and I would both agree they probably should have had 24 points in the first half. They had 10. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's not good enough at all. Like not good enough. And so they got to figure out ways to get the ball in the end zone. You know, you can't have these drives be stalled. You can't rely on a fake punt. Like you, you, you know, you got to be able to score. So they got a lot of momentum coming out of this Duke game. This Louisville team is top 25. So, you you know, you've got an opportunity here to once again, make a bit of a statement before you get into a really tough game with USC, who, you know, you got to score against. Mm hmm. So there's a lot to clean up, starting with the penalties. And here's Freeman after the game oh. on the penalties. Whoa. No, I, you know, Tim, I, a couple of those pre-snap penalties, like three of them, I think, were give due credit for the crowd noise, right? And, and we could not, we were trying to go on snap, I mean, a clap, we were trying to go on first sound, and, you know, it was pretty loud out there. And, and that's something that whenever we travel, we got to be prepared for. So we got to do a better job there. Some of the other pre-snap penalties we got to fix, right? We we got to clean up, um, you know, lining off sides. You know that happened twice a day, and uh, some of the, the the pre-snap penalties that we that we self-inflicted um, had. But I don't know if it's due to the week. You know, I don't know. We got to fix it though. That's the reality. That we have to fix it. Obviously, guys, wow. we're still pretty excited at the end of the game. You know, again, they did win the game but 12 penalties and the bulk of them were pre-snap penalties like Marcus Freeman was talking about and here's what's distressing to me they had five total penalties in their first combined in their first two games of the season over the last four games they're averaging eight and a half and that's only like it seemed like okay Ohio State only four penalties against Ohio State it was a pretty clean game but this is the average is eight and a half over their last four games. And I will say, you know, again, like when he was talking about the pre-snap stuff and I was talking to someone leaving his press conference today that talked to someone who was down on the field and it looked like I saw some of this on TV, like there might've been like, like Duke defenders, I think, you know, because Notre Dame Hartman was using a clap count. Like there was some, you know, clapping going on by Duke defenders, which they're not supposed to be able to do, and officials down on the field are supposed to stop that because you're simulating a snap count, basically. So I do think that that contributed to some of the offensive stuff, but still, 12 penalties is just a massive number, especially when your game-winning drive begins with a false start, and then you have another penalty later on during the drive as well. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Are you playing? Okay. I don't care what Duke was doing, and I agree that it's illegal. Those penalties are inexcusable, and and I don't necessarily put it on the coaching staff. That that you, you got to hold your water, like you got to hold your water. You can't have snap infractions. You can't line up off sides, like you, you know this. Is, these aren't undisciplined penalties. Undisciplined penalties to me are like punching a kid in the face, or you know the 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 after the whistle stuff like that, like Colorado State, for example, like. That is a reflection of the coach and being undisciplined, right? You just, you can't, you're too good of a player to do that, period. 
Now, there's stuff you can do in practice, obviously, to make sure that that doesn't happen. But you can't line up off sides. You can't be right. jumping off sides. Right. The, the pre-snap stuff, I think it was eight out of the 12 were pre-snap penalties. Like, that's – you can't do that. That That's – that's inexcusable. That's stuff. just that's just mental. Yeah, that's that, that's mental focus is what yeah. it is. This you is know? bad. Just bad, bad, bad. Yeah, and you know, like I know, and yes, the offsides the by Baptiste was offsides. He literally was hanging out in the neutral zone and never moved. Yeah. He came off the line. He had an opportunity to get back and didn't, and they snapped the ball. It's a hundred percent his fault. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't know what else to say about yeah. that. Uh, and the, they, they, by they, the way, the false start on the field goal or the punt or whichever one it was, I think it was the field goal, that was not that was not a false start. They were literally setting their feet. Like, that was not a false start. That was a bad call. Right. But other than that, Notre Dame deserved every call they got. Right. Completely agree. Um, We're at the point where we've got to talk about Tobias Merriweather because on a night where Notre Dame's receiving core was obviously depleted the and three. they only played. Yeah. They only played three guys. <laughs> yeah. He's one of them. Yes. And he had three drops and the two penalties that I just talked three? about oh, and yeah, zero catches. Three. He had two penalties on that last drive. He had the false start to begin the drive and he had the pass yeah. interference. And then to confound the pass interference, after he pushed off, he didn't even make the catch on a ball that was completely catchable. Yes. Again, correct. I think this is a focus thing because the yes. guy is obviously talented. There is a ton of talent there, and we all know that. He knows that. His coaches know that. And I realize everyone, there's there's a lot of, I've seen on the boards, there's a lot of piling on Chancey Stuckey now. Into, what is he teaching these guys? And, you know, what is his style? And all this, I've I've come away from every practice we've been able to be at, nothing but impressed with the way Chancey Stuckey goes about coaching that position. I've I've got no complaints. When you listen to him talk, the guy is obviously sharp. He knows what he's talking about. You know he can recruit as well. I I just like if 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 look at what's going on with Chase Claypool with the Chicago bears oh. right now, it sounds like he's about on his way out of Chicago and it's oh, not because chase home. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But now there was a, some, a report this morning that they're, you know, that they're out there trying to get, you know, make a trade to get him out of town. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to get anything based on, you know, when you've got a guy with, with, you know, the kind of issues that chase Claypool. Yeah. The one thing that I will say for Tobias, unlike chase Claypool is even though Tobias has not been a consistent receiver of the football, he has been a willing blocker. You know, he has continued oh, yeah. to block. Chase Claypool has shown that he is completely disinterested in blocking. But again, I think the comparison is these are two vastly talented guys who maybe have just relied too much on the talent and haven't pushed themselves you know, past that point of discomfort to make themselves everything that they could be, you know, to go along with the talent. Like we heard about Chris Tyree catching 20,000 balls off the machine mm -hmm. this summer. We didn't hear that same story about Tobias Merriweather. 
and look at the inconsistency that that Tobias is is sure. having. Just just holding on to to footballs when he is open and completely capable of of catching a football when they need it. You can't have you can't have zero catches when they're playing three receivers and you're one of them and your team is in the situation that it's in from a receiving standpoint. You can't have zero catches if you're that kind of talented like Tobias Merriweather. I completely agree. And what I think that a lot of people are forgetting, number one, I I will reiterate the fact that he did a great job blocking. All the wide receivers did a great job, and they have all season of blocking. You know, we, we don't have an issue with any of that. He's got a confidence problem when it comes to catching the football. That I will agree with. There, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. And I think what gets lost in all of this is that he's a true sophomore. Like, there, there's still time for him. You know what I mean? And maybe... You know, maybe his his role needs to be scaled back a little bit right now and, and let him get his confidence level up or, or or whatever. You know, I don't know specifically what the answer is because I don't know him personally. And I don't know how he practices and how, what what's the best way to get to him. You know, is it yelling? Is it the arm around the shoulder? Is it, you know what I mean? Because like, you know this, you are a head coach. Like every player is different on how you can get to them. You know what I mean? Some guys mm-hmm. need to be yelled at and they respond to it. Some guys need the Father Flanagan, you know, arm around the shoulder, you know, you know, it's all right kind of a thing. Some guys need the good cop, bad cop. Like there's many different ways for guys to get it, right? And I don't know what it is for Tobias. Right now he's blocking really well and he can't catch a football, right? And he he's lacking, you know, offensive pass interference like that. He had beaten the guy. He was ahead of him. He didn't even need to push off. It was like, that's a confidence issue. Right. He thought he needed more space, which he didn't even need. So whatever it takes to build his confidence, that's exactly what you need to do. And I think he's going to snap out of it at some point because you're right. He's got an immense amount of talent. I think he'll get there. But the reality is, if he doesn't, there's a kid playing his senior year in high school right now that I believe plays the same position who's really freaking good and is going to come in and probably play right away. I'm not saying he's going to start but he's going to get reps right away. And, you know, Tobias might get Wally pipped here a little bit. So, you know, he's going to have to snap out of it at some point because there's reinforcements coming. That's exactly right. And when you look at, at the, you know, at, at this freshman class, you've got two of the three who are major contributors and, oh yeah, you know, the others got talent as well. And, you know, I read, you know, people are talking about, well, Jaden Thomas isn't doing this and you know what Jaden Thomas at least holds on to the football when it comes his way, you know? Right. And, and he'll be back in the lineup this week. And so yeah. we'll and Jaden Greathouse is going to be back right. as well. Yeah. We haven't mentioned that. And that's should mention the injury update for people. Maybe who didn't see it. Thomas and Greathouse are both expected back this week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Marcus Freeman said Matt Salerno, who was kind of an insurance policy, really, coming into the season. Then he got hurt right away you would like if he hadn't got hurt at least you would have him you know potentially who could have contributed but he's still got this lower leg injury and freeman said postseason is you know wow probably that's his hope right now that salerno might be back that's tough for postseason they still aren't saying what the injury is but postseason is what they're talking about. That's tough because he, he is a depth piece and he is somebody who would have gotten time on Saturday because they only had three healthy scholarship receivers that they trusted, right? So uh, he definitely would have seen time on Saturday. That is for sure. And and I, before we move off of the Merriweather thing, Tim B says, should his reps be decreased against Louisville? I think it's on the table. I mean, I, again, he's blocking really, really well. So he's not a liability when you want to run the ball but he's a bit of a liability when you want to throw the ball. And there were, I want to say Brian said three or four different times in this game that he was pretty wide open. And Sam Hartman doesn't trust him right now. Sam Hartman's See, not and throwing that's, him the ball. And that's the thing, you know, like when uh, Aaron Rodgers was in green Bay, kind of how I guess he would, would test the young receivers is he would go to these guys early on, like in training camp and preseason games and, whatever and he would he would test them out he would give them a couple chances and if they showed that they weren't going to be able to either catch it or you know be be trustworthy basically it was going to be a long time before Aaron yeah. Rodgers came back to you and that's kind of what happened with Christian Watson last year early on he didn't have the trust and then at some point he earned the trust and as the season progressed he became Aaron Rodgers Main target there in Green Bay. And, you know, that's the the problem with this past weekend is the fact that you had two guys out, obviously, and Salerno already. Actually, you had three guys out because there was no Colsey right. as well. And Colsey's yep. going to be out probably for a couple of weeks. He, somebody on the boards asked about that today. Well, yeah, I'll, he had I'll his knee scoped. Yeah, he so had his knee scoped a, on yeah. Thursday. And Marcus Freeman said a couple of weeks. Yeah. I would think that he through would the sit bye. these next couple of weeks, go through the bye week, and yeah. come back for the Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's you know, accurate. Like, you know, give him the extra week yeah. to rest, kind of thing. But yep, my yep. point with Tobias is when you've got when you've only got the three guys available, you don't have any options in terms of who you can put out there. But now, if you're getting these other guys back, you can. And as you know, some great philosopher once said, "The bench can be a great teacher." You know, and that's you got that right. If, if you've got available guys, maybe that's what it takes is is reduced time, and that's obviously assuming other guys are producing as well. Someone asked about uh, Braylon James, and you know, again, based on the situation that you just had Saturday with the depleted numbers in the room, if if they felt like Braylon James was a viable option and was ready, he would have been out there. But Agreed. He was not out there, and Marcus Freeman has talked about it. They just don't think he's ready at this yeah. point. And look, at this point, I trust the coaching staff when it comes to who's ready and who's not. The last coaching staff I didn't trust. 
because they said anybody that was a freshman wasn't ready. And if you listen to the post game right. show for LSU, you know that it doesn't matter if they're really ready or not. If they're, you know, they're young, they're stupid. It's they coming up in rapid fire, Vince. Okay, you can sorry. see off on that. D- I know. Didn't I know mean I to didn't, go there. I know I accidentally. It's, it's all good. Didn't it's send all, you. It's all good. Well, it, uh, you know, we don't know if he's ready either. To be honest with you, yeah, he's making plays in practice and stuff like that, but we don't know how deep into the playbook he's been able to do because he's running scout team. He's not running with the varsity would be my guess. And so, you know, he's not running Notre Dame's plays week in and week out. He's running the opposition's plays. You know what I mean? And so he had more opportunities last week, I think because of the depth chart, right? He had more chances at least with the number twos, but Brian Ward asked about Jordan Faison, the walk on. And I mean, this, he was an impressive guy. Here's the thing with Faison. He's got a lacrosse scholarship. And apparently, the NCAA rule is when you're a walk-on and you have a scholarship in another sport, if the football team, you know, you're a walk-on on the football team, if the football team plays you, then they take away your scholarship in the other sport. They, And so that would mean if he was going to stay on scholarship, the football team would have to give him a scholarship. They obviously, I don't think that they're you know, quite that, that committed just yet. And so they don't yeah. want to take away his lacrosse scholarship just to play him from a football standpoint. And the reason they came up, the NCAA has that rule is essentially so there's not an abuse of, you know, hey, football, he's on right. this this other scholarship. And it, it's like, the other way around. You're, you're skirting okay. the scholarship limits, basically. Yeah. yeah. The other way around is okay because because football right. generally has guys that play other sports. Right, counts exactly. football, but not the exactly. other ones. So, right, it's like Pat Connaughton fair, had but... the basketball scholarship. He played right. baseball. Samarja so Golden Tate had the football scholarships. Evan Sharp, and you know those kind of guys. I'll bet you, and I don't know this for sure, and you can call me an idiot, um, but my guess is if you have if it, if it's a sport where you can get a full scholarship versus a sport where it's a partial scholarship, they're going to make the full scholarship sport take that player. And then you can play as a walk-on on the partial scholarship. So like baseball, lacrosse, like those are all partial scholarship sports. Those aren't full scholarship sports. And so that's that's my guess as to why that is the way it is. And I think basketball and football are the only ones that are full full rides. Does that sound right? I can only speak to to baseball in terms of you know, the I reason know baseball is like eleven and point eight or something. It's like eleven point seven. The reason seven. baseball doesn't is because you have a direct counterpart with softball right because a softball roster is smaller because you don't need as many pitchers pitchers for a softball team that's why you've got that ratio with baseball at 11.7 so it stinks for baseball but that's that's why that's why it's that way i will be curious to see like with Faison, what happens going forward does maybe he get a football scholarship next year you know that that kind of thing and can he be you know a a legitimate varsity type guy it's going to be tough he's good. The, the depth at wide receiver gets a lot deeper once this new freshman class comes in. Exactly. The, the, the guys they've got coming in in the 24 class are legit. And so we're not going to be talking about lack of depth at wide receiver come springtime. You know what I mean? And so I think it'd be even harder for him to kind of break through because he was he was showing out in spring practice and in fall practice because the numbers weren't great at wide receiver. So he was getting more, you know, opportunities He's a great player. He's playing great. But I just think that that depth chart gets even deeper once this 24 class comes. You know what I mean? 
And so yeah. that might limit his opportunities a little bit. Tom asks if there's anyone from the defensive backfield that could possibly play receiver if needed. I mean, they tried that obviously last year early on with Xavier Watts. I just, I don't think that there probably is at this point. They, they would bring Faison into as a scholarship player before they would bring somebody over from defense. I, I, I mean, that, that's, that's where I think that they're at. To be honest, because they love their depth. They like the kids that they have at wide receiver. It's just unfortunate that they had some injuries. Now some of those kids are going to come back and, uh, you know, they're going to be fine. Um, I don't see the depth being an issue moving forward unless like four guys go out with season ending injuries. Then you start to scramble a little bit. But, you know, the tweak of the hamstring was just for one game. Tim B says, this is actually starting to feel like maybe these guys just broke through a wall. We will see in about five more days. What do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I I think these guys are tired. I think, you know, if we're talking about the entire team, I think that's something we talked about at the top of the show, right? I mean, you and I are tired and we're not out there practicing and and bashing each other's heads in, in the press box. You know what I mean? Like, it it is a you know four night games in a row. We could be. We could give that a shot if you want. Like I mean, we can. Beat I, each other's heads in. <laughs> be rough. I don't think you and I would get off the floor. Um, That's right. But uh, you know, it makes me think about this, and this is way off topic, but I'm going to say it anyway. You see Notre Dame doing these four night games in a row. What happens when you've got like uh, you know USC or UCLA or Washington or whatever, and they're in the Big Ten and they have four night games in a row? And they're coming from the East Coast back to the West Coast and, you know, all of this. Like, we're talking about Midwest, for the most part, situations for Notre Dame with these night game situations, right? I mean, you know, Duke and uh, Louisville, a pretty short hop, right, from South Bend. I don't know. I Are you – Our home games, obviously. Would you but. rather have the primetime games or noon kickoffs? As a player, or even, as a as us. as as a as a player, like media media, I think we'd we'd always take the noon because then sure. we're not up past midnight. But as a player, like noon even early. You know, like the noon, because like USC Colorado was a ten a.m. local time kickoff in Colorado. Yeah, for the big yeah, for the big noon kickoff. That's game. real, and, early. and that's and you know like you talk about USC and UCLA coming to the Big 10 there's going to be a lot of that for them it's not just going to be primetime games but there's also right. going to be a lot of the noon games because Fox is the big yeah. TV partner you're you're either going to have yeah. a primetime game on NBC or a noon game on uh, on Fox and that's 9am for USC UCLA etc yeah. so your body's on a different time yeah because you'd much rather if you're if you're a West Coast time person, right? You would much rather have the game at what four thirty, which is eight, which is you know uh, seven thirty, our time. You'd much rather have that than the nine a.m. because you know teams get to the field hours and hours early, right? I mean they be getting there before the sun comes up, like that's nuts, you know that's nuts. So if now if I'm Notre Dame though, with the schedule that they have. I think there's a reason that they have 2.30 and 3.30 starts because it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would rather, as a player, have a noon start, like an actual noon start, not a different time zone 9 a.m. start, but an actual noon start because 
I get restless when it's a night game with like nothing to do. And you know, you have a game that night. I'd rather just get up and get after it personally. Like that's what I would like to do as a player. That's how I was as a coach. You know, if we had like a Saturday game, like I wanted like a 10 a.m. start for baseball or I wanted, you know, a, a noon start for baseball. Like I wanted to get in and get after it. Those late games, man, you're just sitting around all day like, oh, my gosh, we still have like four hours before we're even going to leave for the field. Yeah, and, and whether you're home or on the road, you're in a hotel right. as well. 100%. Yeah, you know, they take Terrible. you to a hotel and you have your your breakfast and your, your pregame meal and all that stuff and a little bit of a walkthrough, but you're still, you're just like holed up in the hotel and it's like, come on, let's just get yeah. this thing going. Exactly. Can you? I mean, sitting around in a hotel for five, six, seven hours. I mean, I know. that's brutal. That's that's why we're that's why we're not leaving until Saturday morning to go to Louisville because we don't want to sit around the hotel all day on Saturday. Because originally we were going to leave on Friday and then stay the night Friday and get up, go to the game. The night game, like, but no, I would rather have a day game.